And we're so honored to have a very special guest today that I believe that can preach to that very end today. Brother Jared and Sister Gina Driggers are really no stranger to Tree of Life Church. You know them because about 15 months or so ago, they came to Cincinnati at the birth of their son, Nolan. There were great complications. They have spent a great deal of time in Cincinnati Children's Hospital, in and out, wondering if Nolan was going to live or die at one point, wondering how it was all going to work out. They came to the Tree of Life Church. They attended the Tree of Life Church. We got to know them. They got to know us. They were a blessing to our church. Amen. And I'm happy today to have not only Brother Jared Driggers, but his wife, Sister Gina, and baby Nolan is with us today. He's a miracle worker. I said he's a miracle worker. And I'll let Brother Driggers tell you all about what that means and why that's important today. But Brother and Sister Driggers are great friends of the Tree of Life Church. They serve as missionaries to the country of Spain. That's what they do. But they've been in the United States for the past year and a half or so, uh, just following through with Nolan's treatments over at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And uh, we love them. We're so honored to have them. And he's going to come and minister the Word of God today and testify of the miracle-working power of God. If you need a miracle today, you don't have to leave this place without receiving your miracle. In Jesus' name, would you put your hands together today and welcome Brother Jared Driggers to this podium. Can we give that hand clap of praise to our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords? How many of you can testify and say that he's been faithful? He's been good. His promises are yea and amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. The psalmist said it like this. He said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. He went on to say, they looked unto him, and they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I believe this is a blessed church today. How many of you trust in the name of the Lord? Amen, amen, amen. It's an overwhelming experience to be here together with you all today, with my family and my son with us, my wife Gina. We are so excited. We've been looking forward to this day. Uh, we based out of Indianapolis while we're here in the States near our family there. But this was our home for nearly 10 months while we were here in Cincinnati from my son's birth. He was in the hospital for 10 months there at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And so we made it here every time that we could. And I want to thank this church so much for how much you have blessed my family in so many ways 
Never in my life have I been so thankful for the body of Christ. Amen, amen. I want to give honor to you all. And uh, what an amazing building. We, were, we didn't get to see this building before we left, and so it's great to see this building. God completes his promises. He fulfills his promises. Amen. And it's wonderful, amen, to worship with you all in this new facility. I do want to give honor to Pastor Urshan and the kindness that he has personally, him and his family personally showed unto us and uh, to all the leadership here, Brother Sizemore, and all the friends that we've made here. I don't want to mention all the names because so many people uh, would give us a word of encouragement, would bless us in many different ways, the visits at the hospital that we had for your intercessions. And I can tell you today that God answered your prayers. He answers prayers. So thank you for your blessing and your investment in our lives. And I am just thrilled to be here. It's, I remember when my wife, she, uh, her water broke at 21 weeks. You have to understand, we tried for years to have a child. The Lord had promised that we would have a child. And uh, I remember when I found out that my wife was pregnant, she, she let me know, and she got me a little coffee cup that said so. And, <laughs> and I remember when she told me that, and we were so ecstatic that they would finally see this promise that would come to fruition. And I remember her water broke at 21 weeks, and um, that's usually a very dire situation, and it was at 25 weeks. She had to go into the hospital. They weren't sure, indeed, if it had broken until 25 weeks. And 25 weeks, they said, yes, definitely. There is no amniotic fluid there, hardly to speak of. And she was not able to leave the hospital. And amazingly, she did not deliver until 30 weeks. And I thank God for that. And, but because of that, with no amniotic fluid, the lungs do not develop as quickly or in the manner that they should. And so when my son was born, he had, a, he had a, a great struggle to breathe and to live, but God was with us in the midst of that. But I wanna, I'm, I'm telling you this at the beginning, I'm gonna share more of it later on in my sermon today, and really I'm just worshiping with you all today. My, I, I've come here for one objective I feel in the Holy Ghost, and that is if someone's faith has been wavering, that if someone's faith needs strength in the day, that you would leave today and that you would believe every promise of God's word is faithful. That's my goal today. That's what I feel in the Holy Ghost. That by the end of this service, that doubt and fear will have no place in here today. Amen. And so um, it's like what Solomon, when he prayed and he dedicated the temple. And he said, not one good word of the good promises of God that he promised by his servant Moses has failed. I want you to know that today. Not one good word of his promises have failed. And so I remember we were in the hospital in Indianapolis. This was before Nolan was born. She would be, my wife would be hospitalized five weeks before she would later deliver. And about two and a half weeks, they said, we don't know that we will be able to give him the care that he needs here. And so we think that it would be best that you transfer a different hospital. God opened the door, led us here to the fetal care center at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And I remember we felt peace about going there, but I honestly, we didn't know hardly anybody here in Cincinnati. Our support network was in Indiana. And when this was taking place, I remember my, uh, my wife and I were discussing, do we really want to leave Indianapolis? Because this is going to be a long haul, barring a miracle, and we're wondering how are we going to go there without any support network? But we felt God tell us, go to Cincinnati. And I remember we got in the car. I, she got in the ambulance. She was... She was brought here by ambulance, and I was coming, driving behind her, about 30 minutes behind them, and I remember on the way here that Brother Urshan called me on the phone, 
Brother Ellis from Calvary Church called me on the phone and they made sure that we knew that the body of Christ was going to be there for us over the next several months. And it was confirmation that God was leading us, that God was guiding us. And so I wanna say from that moment to this day, this church has been an integral part in the process that God has been carrying us through. And I remember the week that Nolan, they did not give him much hope. In fact, they later on told us they did not expect him to live about two months after he was born. He got very, very sick. And I remember Brother Urshan came up to the hospital and he visited us there. And I remember we began to pray together. And I remember faith began to rise in that room. I remember declaring in the Holy Ghost that one day that we would bring my son the tree of life and that we would walk around the march around the church together. And we will do that by the end of this service. By all time altar call comes around, we will do that. But I'm telling you here today. Doesn't matter how bleak the night is, doesn't matter how impossible the circumstance seems, if God promised you something, you ought to put your faith in it because it will come to pass. Man might not understand how it's possible. You might not be able to reason it or understand it with your rationale, but not one good word of his promises have fallen to the ground. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to try to get through my message today without being too emotional. But I was telling Brother Sizemore, I said, this is very difficult to prepare today because this is kind of like the culmination of a miracle, if you will, that we were able to, we attended so many services here. And we were desperate for an answer of God. We'd come here to the altar, ministry would lay hands upon us, and we got to the very point of breaking and to see that God has Bring it around full circle. It's just an amazing thing to be here today. If we could stand for the reading of the word, we're going to go to the book of Psalms, chapter 25. We're going to go verse, begin reading in verse 10. Amen. Psalms, chapter 25, and verse 10. If you have it, say amen. Yeah, this was a psalm of David. It was a psalm, we don't exactly know when he wrote it in his life, but he was going through a time of affliction. You'll see that here in the text. But I want to just, I'm gonna go ahead and give you my title today, because we all go through different times of affliction and struggle and suffering and trials. But my title today is that he will bring you out. He will bring you out. Psalms chapter 25, verse 10 says, and the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. How many of you are thankful for the grace and mercy of God? Amen, amen. That the faithfulness of God's promises isn't contingent on my past. But that when he makes us new, we can walk in covenant with him and trust in his promises. Amen. Verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he shall choose. Verse 13. His soul shall dwell at ease. Doesn't mean life will be easy but it means that your soul shall find rest trusting him and his seed shall inherit the earth. Verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show unto them his covenant. It's the verse I wanna focus on. I'll come back to that in a minute. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Everyone say, he will bring me out. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. 
or bring me out of my distresses. Verse 18, look upon mine affliction and my pain. Forgive all of my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I will put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait upon thee. Redeem Israel, God, out of all of his troubles. If we could raise our hands and pray right now. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this body of believers that is gathered here together today, Lord. I pray right now that everything that is done and said in the next few moments as it already has, Lord, be for your glory alone and be according to your direction, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that the good seed of your word fall on the good ground of our hearts and come to fruition in our lives. Let faith be imparted today, God, that many miracles happen confirming your word, I pray. Lord, that everything be done for your will and for your glory. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated. David was writing here. We don't know exactly when it was. It perhaps was the time when he realized all his family and all of his possessions and those of his men had been taken. It could be when Saul was pursuing him. We don't know exactly when it was, but we do know it was a time of desperation. It was a time of affliction. How many of you have ever been in a situation like that or a season of your life where you come to God and you're pulling out all the stops in your prayers, if you will, and you're asking God for intervention. You're asking God for forgiveness. You're asking God for mercy. But somewhere in the midst of that prayer, you begin to ask God to remember his promises to remember his covenants, to remember the agreement that you came into him with him when you entered into a covenant life with him. David was in a situation like this. He said, I'm desolate, I'm afflicted, I'm in pain. He said, many are my enemies, and he's asking the Lord to pluck his feet from the net, so to speak. He says, but my trust is in you. In verse 14, in the verse that I want to focus at today, he says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show to them his covenant. I remember when I read that, and I was like, the secret of the Lord, what is that? I want to know what the secret of the Lord is. I don't know what David was saying there. It sounds kind of, ooh, I don't know. But I want to figure out what that is, and Brother Sizemore mentioned that uh, we're missionaries to Spain, so when I read the Bible, I often read it in Spanish, or I have a side-by-side parallel version, one side in English and one side in Spanish. And in Spanish, it says this. Instead of saying the secret of the Lord, it says, La comunión íntima de Jehová. Hay alguien aquí que habla español. Levanta sus manos, por favor, dame un fuerte gloria a Dios. Amen. Says instead of secret, Lord, it says the intimate communion of Jehovah is with them that fear him. And he will show unto them his covenant. What is a covenant? Covenant is an agreement. When we are born again of water and of spirit, the moment that we repent of our sins, the moment that we identify with his death by repentance and we identify with his burial by being buried with him in baptism and our sins are washed away. The moment that we're baptized in Jesus' name and his name is called over our life and that we're filled with his spirit, with the biblical evidence of speaking in other tongues, in that moment when we're born again of water and of spirit, for the rest of our lives, we enter into what is known as a covenant relationship with God. 
He puts his name upon us. He washes us. He makes us anew in his image. And from that moment, we enter into an agreement with him. You have to understand the word covenant. It means an agreement or a promise on both parties, if you will. And, and that it was throughout the language of the Bible. The Bible is all about covenant. It's about bringing our life into agreement with the purpose in which we are created. That's what this is about. So it's about a covenant with God. And David here says, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of desolation, in the midst of your worst trials and your nightmares, so to speak, in that moment, if you're a part of his covenant people, you will find intimate communion with God. And he will show unto you his covenant. He will show unto you his promises. And today, church, I want to convey to you that sometimes we go through things that we do not understand. We experience things in our life that make no sense to us. And sometimes we ask God, how in the world are you allowing this to happen? But church, the world needs to see that there is a way out of the affliction of this world. They need to see that there is a way out of the spiritual desolation and wasteland that is around us because this world is rocked still by the curse and the effects of the curse of sin. But you and I, the New Testament church, we don't live according to the doubt and the fear and the unbelief and the anxiety of this world. But we live according to the covenants and the promises of God. And his promises are always faithful. They are yea and amen. Amen. His word is true. Amen. And so there is another side of affliction, if you will, where you will see, you will experience an intimate communion with God that you don't necessarily experience any other way. There's something about that raw faith when man can't do it. There's something about coming to a wall, if you will, and you can't tear that down that wall upon your own accord. It's kind of like the Israelites when they came to Jericho and they said, there's no way we can conquer this land upon our own. They knew that God had to intervene on our behalf. And if we're honest with ourselves, we need that kind of help from the Lord every day of our lives. I can't live a holy life without him. I can't be the husband or the father that he's called me to be without him. I can't be the man of God that he wants me to be without the help of the Spirit. There's little that I can do with my own talents and my own abilities, but if we put our faith in him, if we put our trust in him, it doesn't matter the storm, it doesn't matter the season, he will visit you, you will experience an intimate communion with his Spirit, and he will show unto you the fruition of his covenants and his promises. Amen, amen, amen. If you put your faith in God's word, if you put your faith in his promises, if you put your faith in every one of his covenants, he will bring you out to the other side of affliction. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph. It's a very simple story. It's a Something that we, many of us, if you attended Sunday school as a child, you probably learned it in Sunday school, no doubt. 
But Joseph, he was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. He was the great-grandson of Abraham. The Bible says that his father gave him a coat of many collars, and all of his brothers thought that he was the favorite sibling, he was the favorite child. Now, if we're all honest with you, if we think of our parents, we would probably say our parents probably did have a favorite child, right? I mean, if we're honest. I'm still bitter about it today. My sister got away with a lot more than what I got away with. There was things that I got in trouble for that my younger sister, she never got in trouble for. And it was the only two of us. She was my favorite parents' favorite, perhaps, but I was my grandparents' favorite, so. But there's always rivalry between siblings. There's a bitterness between siblings that sometimes arises, and Joseph didn't help his case any. Joseph, as a young man, had dreams that God had given him, visions that he had given him. He decided that it was wise to share with his brethren, and his brethren thought it wasn't that good, and the jealousy that they had for Joseph became even worse. And you know the story. They faked his death. They put the blood of an animal on the coat of many collars. They brought it back to Jacob, their father. Jacob thought he was dead. They sold Joseph. They put him into a pit. They eventually sold him into slavery. Read the story that he would become a slave in Potiphar's house, who was one of the princes, if you will, of Egypt. And he would become a servant there, and he would become one of the chief servants in Potiphar's house. And you'll find this theme in Joseph's life that in every situation of affliction, in every trial, in every situation of desperation, if you will, God would always bless him no matter the situation that he was in. He would become the chief of the servant in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and he rejected her and he fled youthful lust like the Bible says and he left and he ran but she tore his coat from him and she tried to say that Joseph tried to seduce her and you can read it in the Bible and Joseph was thrown in prison because of this. He was falsely accused and by this point, you know, I've had some bad days. I don't know if I had that bad of a day but he's having one bad day after another. And here Joseph is, he's in prison. Two of Pharaoh's servants, the king of Egypt, if you will, happen to be in prison at this time, the cupbearer to the king and the baker to the king. And I'm sharing this story because I'm going to convey a point here in a moment. I want to make sure everyone understands the context of what I want to convey right now. But they both have visions, and God gives Joseph the interpretation of those dreams or those visions in the prison. While he was in prison, while he was in a time of waiting, if you will. My wife and I, we spent 10 months here in the hospital. We've been here in the States for 15 months, not because of deputation, but specifically to take care of our son. And there's times that I'm wondering, why am I still here when I know you called me to do something else? I have dreams and visions of things down the road that I know you've called me to do. But don't despise the time of affliction in your life, church. God will use you in every situation. He will use you in every season of your life. And that's the beautiful thing about the promises and the word and the covenants of God because you don't have to understand how you're going to get to the finish line, but you have to know this. He will bring you out. He will bring you to the other side. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You can just trust God that he will be faithful to his word. So here Joseph is. He's in prison, and he interprets those dreams. Eventually, the cupbearer to the king, he is he is released from prison, and he goes back to serving Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a vision of seven cows coming up out of the Nile River, and they're fat cows. They're big cows. They look like they had some carne asada about them, if you will. (laughs) 
they come up out of the Nile River and they're, they're walking out and all of a sudden behind them are seven lean, mangy looking cows and they come up and they eat the fat cows. This is a, I've had some bad dreams, but this is a weird, weird dream. And Joseph, I mean, the, the cupbearer, he, he sees Pharaoh, Pharaoh try to have all of his wise men, all of the magicians and the sorcerers of Egypt, all of the priests of all those false religions, they all come together and they try to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh and none of them could. But the cupbearer remembers, hey, there was this Hebrew slave that was in prison and he interpreted my dream when nobody else could interpret it because God gave him the vision. So he, Pharaoh calls Joseph unto him and Joseph tells him, well, there's going to be seven lean years, seven years of uh, feast, if you will, seven years of plenty and abundance of all the crops of Egypt. But after that, it's going to come seven years of famine over all the earth. So it would be wise, O king, if you would prepare during the seven years of abundance and build storehouses so that Egypt could be a blessing to those that are around them after this. Pharaoh says, well, I think you're right about this. And he begins to give accolades unto Joseph, but Joseph says, no, it's not me. It's God that gave me the vision. He says, but I want you to be my right-hand man. And he gave him his signet ring. And Joseph, this Hebrew slave, went from prison, went from a pit, went from a land of affliction and desolation, if you will, to being second only to Pharaoh in all the empire of Egypt. And this is important to realize because I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this because when Joseph gets here, Joseph wasn't there. God didn't bring him through all that affliction just to sit on his laurels, so to speak. He didn't bring him through all that for Joseph's glory. That's not why he did it. But he did it for a very specific purpose. You see, God had given Joseph's great-grandfather a promise. He told his great-grandfather Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you. Because when I called you out of your land, you came and followed me, and I will give you a land of promise. And your seed, your descendants, will become my covenant people. And from your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And why is that? It's because from Abraham's seed would become Messiah. That Mary and Joseph, they were from Abraham's seed. They were from Abraham's descendants. And because of that, Jesus would come and God would robe himself in flesh and he would pay the price for our sins of the which none of us could pay. So indeed, from Abraham's seed, all of the nations are blessed. I'm blessed today because Abraham was faithful. I'm blessed today because Abraham passed on the covenant that he received from God. He passed it on to his sons and to his grandsons and to his great-grandsons so much so that it shaped their lives. It shaped the way they talk. And to this day, if you go to the land of Israel, you will hear them talk of the covenants of God. They will talk about the promises of God. And we ourselves, the spiritual descendants, so to speak, of Abraham, we still believe in the covenants and the promises of God, and we are still blessed by it. So Abraham, no doubt, and I, I could read it to you, Genesis 15 and 13 through 16, God tells Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you in all these ways, and the, the land of the promise says it's, it's going to be yours, the land of Canaan. I'm giving it to your seed and to your descendants. And he says, your descendants will be so numerous, they'll be like the sand of the sea or the stars of heaven, and nobody will be able to count them. 
But later on, he says this. God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and 13, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. In other words, before the promises of God come to fruition to the children of Israel, they're going to have to go through 400 years of affliction. And generation after generation would die in bondage and in slavery, but they would somehow have to hold on to the belief that what God promised to our fathers, he's going to bring us out of the affliction. He's going to bring us up out of this land. And when you read what God promised to Abraham, he said, And also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. And afterwards, they shall come out. Everyone say, they shall come out with great substance. In other words, when you come out on the other side of affliction, you're going to come out better than when you came in. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. Later on, Joseph's brothers, they would experience the effects of the famine, and they would have to go to Egypt for sustenance. And you all know the story, and I'm sorry for taking so much time to convey this. I'm not really sorry because I'm, I'm going to drive home a point here in a second. But they come to Joseph. They don't know who he is. They don't realize that second in command of all of Egypt is their brother. And when they realize it, they're fearful for their lives. And I'm going to abbreviate the story for a second, if you will. And Joseph, he later on tells him, don't fear for your lives because what you meant for evil, God meant for good for the saving of many lives and you have to realize church there is purpose in affliction there is purpose in your storms and in your trials there is purpose in desolation and you'll never be able to see it from the beginning of it but when you get to the other side you'll realize that God indeed came and visited me and he had communion with me and he showed unto me the fruition of his covenants the completed word of his promises. The thing I find amazing is the Bible doesn't really tell when Abraham passed on that covenant to Isaac. You see it when he gives the birthrights and he blesses them, but you don't really see it. You see when God repeats the promises to Isaac and to Jacob and to the other descendants, but you don't really see it in the Bible necessarily where Abraham says it so explicit, explicitly to Isaac. But at some point they had to. Because what you read later on in the Bible, if we can go to Genesis chapter 41 and verse 51, God saves the children of Jacob. He saves the children of Abraham. Why? Because he put Joseph in Pharaoh's house, and they were able to prepare for those seven years of famine, and they were able to come out of it better than they went into it. But Joseph, he has two children. And if we can go to chapter 41, verse 51, Joseph, while he is in the land, a strange land, after he had been afflicted, after he had been in a pit and in slavery and, and in prison and all of these things, Joseph has two children. The Bible says in verse 51, he called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget all of my toil in my father's house. That's an amazing thing to think about. Because sometimes we go through things and they're traumatic in life, there's no doubt about it. The things that my wife and I went through through the past year, I can't tell you everything that we experienced in the hospital, but there was traumatic experiences. But the amazing thing is, 
is that when God brings you out to the other side of affliction, there will come a day when you'll be able to say, because he completed his word and his promises unto me, he has made me forget all of my toil. The times of desperation that I was crying out to them, I can't remember it like I remembered it in that moment. The first one was Manasseh, for God said he had made me forget all my toil. In verse 52, in the name of the second, he called Ephraim, because Ephraim says, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And I want to say to someone here today, maybe you're afflicted in your soul and you're going through something that you can't quite explain or understand why you're going through it, God will allow you to be fruitful in the midst of that situation. He'll allow you to be fruitful in the midst of that trial because it's in that trial, it's in that land of affliction that he will visit you and you'll have intimate communion with Jehovah and he'll come to you and he'll show you the other side of his covenants. Verse 52, it says, And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, and the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon the knees of Joseph. What's that mean? The reason that's written in Scripture is so that we might understand that what had been promised to Joseph, what had been promised to Jacob, what had been promised to Isaac, their father, what had been promised to their father, Abraham, that Joseph spent time passing it on to his children and to his grandchildren and to his great-grandchildren, the Bible says, on his knees, and he no doubt told them of the covenants that God had given them. Church, it's important that when your children graduate high school, more than they know math, more than they know how to play a sport, more than they know about politics or how to have a career, that they understand with resolve and determination that God's word is faithful, that God's word is true, that his promises are yea and amen, and they're enduring to every generation. That's the most important thing that you can pass on to your children. Because church, I'm here to tell you, I don't think it's going to get any easier, but I can tell you this, his word's still going to be faithful. His promises are still going to be true. And he will still bring you out. Can someone stand to their feet right now and just shout, he will bring me out. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Listen, church. You can stand if you want to. I'm not quite done yet, but, but I'm, I'm going to try to wrap up as quickly as I can. But I'm here to tell you this. The world, amen, amen. The world that we're facing right now, there's so much doubt. There's so much uncertainty. The president has his cabinet. Every foundation, every company has their CEO and board of directors, but none of them have the answer. But you and I, we have, we have what the Bible says. When you look at that word, the secret of God, it meant intimate communion or it meant a divine assembly or council. What we have is an intimate communion. We have an intimate with counsel with God, and when man doesn't have the answers, he has the answers. Amen, amen. We have something that's so much more infinitely powerful than anything that this world can have to offer. And if you pass anything on to your children, pass on to them that God is faithful to his word. Amen, amen. If we can go back to the scripture here, Joseph brought up his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren upon his knees. In verse 24, it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. 
but it's important that you know something. God will surely visit you and he will bring you out of this land and to the land which he swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And the Bible says that he made the children of Israel promise him in verse 25 saying, God will surely visit you and he, you shall carry my bones from hence. Joseph died 110 years old. Bible says then they embalmed him. He was put in a coffin in Egypt. There's no doubt Joseph went through that storm and he was wondering, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. God, you gave me a dream. God, you gave me visions and I don't see any of them coming past right now. My brethren, they didn't believe me. They sold me into slavery. They threw into a pit. For all I know, my dad thinks I'm dead. I've been falsely accused, falsely in prison. I'm alone, away from my family. I'm in a place of desolation. I'm in a place of affliction and none of it makes sense. But you see what God was doing, he was putting Joseph in position. Not just in position to save Egypt from famine. That wasn't the only thing. He was putting, wasn't just putting Joseph in position to save the children of Israel from famine. He was putting Joseph in a position that he would be able to take an oath from those that were around him. That they would hold God true to his promises and to his word. And some of you today, the reason my wife and I went through affliction, I have no doubt about it, And the reason some of you today are going through the things that you're going through is specifically for this reason is because God is putting you in a position that your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers, when they look at you and they see you when you come out on the other side and that God indeed was true to you and he was faithful to you and you were faithful to them, you, you'll be able to take a covenant from them and you'll be able to encourage them, hey, I put my faith in God and you can put your faith in him and if he did it for me, he will do it for you. Amen, amen, amen. He is putting you in position, not just for your family, not just for this church, but for every neighborhood of Cincinnati. He's putting you in position so people will hear that if they put their faith in God, doesn't matter what they'll go through, they'll come out on the other side. And they will know what communion with God is. They'll understand the other side of his covenant. You can read in the book of Hebrews, Chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age and because she judged him faithful who had promised. It didn't make sense. It shouldn't have happened, but she judged him faithful who have promised in church. I feel like there's someone here today, before we leave to this place, perhaps you are wondering if he would be faithful, but by the time you leave this place today, you will be judging the Lord to be faithful to his promise. It says, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 12, therefore sprang there even one and him as good as dead, and so many as the stars of the sky and multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in the faith, not having received the promises. In other words, they did not yet get to experience the fullness of the gospel like you and I get to experience today. But having seen them afar off, 
They were persuaded of them. Generation after generation died during those 400 years waiting for God to call them up out of the land of Egypt. But no doubt they had to pass it to their children. There's going to come a day, son. There's going to come a day, grandchild, that God's going to bring us up out of this place. And he's going to bring us out and he will complete every word of his promises. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country church, what we're seeking. We're not seeking something in this world here. We're not seeking wealthy possessions and earthly possessions. We're not seeking worldly flame, fame, but we're seeking something that is from another world. We're seeking something that is a heavenly country, amen? Verse 16, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. What a powerful thing to say, church. I have to be honest with you. There was moments. What is faith? The Bible says this, that in Hebrews, in the same chapter, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the powerful thing about faith, church. Because when you have faith in God's word, there's going to come times when it does not match your reality. That what you see with these eyes of flesh, it will not match what God has promised you. And young people, perhaps God is calling you to something. And you're saying, I don't have the talent. And I don't have the ability. Or I don't have the charisma. And what you're calling me to do does not match my physical reality. But I don't want God to be ashamed of me. That's the beautiful thing about this chapter here. It says they were not, God was not ashamed to be called their God because they had faith in him, that what they believed he would do, they believed it, even though their physical reality did not match it. And there are people who would say, well, is that mind over matter? That's not mind over matter. That's just holding God true to, to his promises and to his word, that he can take your reality and he can change it. And it doesn't even matter what happens to you in this life. He can take that which is meant for evil and he can bring it about for good. That at some point, he will bring you out. When my wife and I, when, when we were there in the hospital, there, there was times I had conversations with God. There was prayers that I prayed in this church, not in this building. This is my first time getting to see this building. But there's times I pray prayers in this church that I will probably never share with you. And there was times I was desperate. I felt like my faith was wavering. But you have to understand, no one was a promise to us. And even in the darkest moment, I, I, I just had this feeling, this knowledge that God would bring it about somehow. But we were taken to the very brink. We were taken to the very end. The, the week that Brother Ursha came and visited us there in the hospital, we were at the end, so to speak. You see, Nolan, he was, he was born, and he was not able to breathe on his own. He had to immediately be hooked to a ventilator. And for the first two months, he started to get better, and he began to grow. But about two months in, he got very, very sick. And in that moment, he, uh, the doctors, I remember that way they came in, and they didn't really understand why he was getting so sick. And I think the thought was this, that his body's growth was outpacing the development of his lungs. And they were doing everything they could to save him. I remember that they, they, they came in and they, they, they came into the hospital room there and they changed the ventilator he was on. He was on a normal ventilator but they changed him to a different type of ventilator. 
And it was what's known as an oscillator. And this oscillator, what it does is it pulses air into your lungs. Instead of breathing naturally in and out, your lungs will just vibrate and they'll stay open like this, hoping that he would receive enough oxygen in his blood to survive and to live. They did this. They had his oxygen cranked up to 100%. They couldn't crank it up anymore. And there's moments that the reality that we were facing was not matching the promise that God had given us. God had promised us a child. And here he was, and he was dying, if you will. The doctors later on, they, they, they would tell us that they expected him to die. They came in, and I don't, I don't mean to be so graphic, but I'm hoping to encourage someone's faith today. They made molds of his hand and of his foot so that we would have something to remember him by. They had all of the end-of-life conversations. I remember they, doc, the doctor came into the room, and he says, I haven't lost all hope, but he said, I have done everything that I can do. And I looked at the doctor, and I said, Doctor, do everything you can do, but I am going to pray that God does what you cannot do. We're God's covenant people, church, and we have to understand that our faith does not match our physical reality at times, but I'm here to tell somebody today, he's going to bring you out. He'll bring you out on the other side. And in the midst of that affliction, when man says, there's nothing else I can do, it is in that moment, like Joseph said, God will surely visit you in the land of affliction. And you'll have intimate communion with you. And he will show unto you his promises. He'll show unto you his covenant. And he will bring you out. I remember we were... We were praying, and I, I was desperate. I was, I, I, I was asking God daily, God, don't let my faith waver. Strengthen my faith. And where does faith come from, church? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that's why you're here today, to hear the preached word of God, so that a seed of faith might be planted into your lives. And I'm here to tell someone today, any moment that you begin to doubt the promises of God, any time the doctor comes with a new report, or, or the news media comes with a new economic report, or whatever the situation is, if man's report is different than what God's promises are, just go back to his book. And go back to what he promised you. Go back to what he said to you many years ago. And judge him faithful to his promises. And I promise you, church, every time you go back to his book, he'll have a word of encouragement for you. He'll have a word of faith to give to you. And your faith begin to rise in your heart. There was times I remember we were in a desperate situation and the doctors, they were gathered outside Nolan's room and they were updating us on a situation. And I looked to my wife and I said, I can't really tell you why, but I have peace right now. In church, I can tell you this. It wasn't peace and faith that was coming from my prayers. It was peace and faith that was coming prayers from the body of Christ that was holding us up together. And church, that's why it's important. When the church doors are open, you ought to be in the house of God because there's Days that I'm going to need your faith, and there's days that you're going to need my faith. But we're going to come out of this thing together, church. He'll bring you through every situation, and there's going to come a day. He's going to bring us out of this world, and he's going to call us up to be with him. But he will bring you out. I was, 
I was desperate for somebody to believe it with me. And I remember when Nolan was at his sickest, God sent a pastor friend of mine from two states away, and he drove over to Cincinnati with a minister of his, and he came into the hospital room, and you have to understand, we had all the end of life expectations. They had Nolan, he was chemically paralyzed. His health was degrading. My wife held him, and the doctor said, this might be the last time that you hold him alive. And I remember that man of God came into the hospital room, and I remember, remember he laid hands on my son and he said Nolan you shall live and you shall not die and I remember hey somebody believes us like I believe it hey somebody's faith is coming together with my faith and the Bible says this if two of us agree together touching anything it shall be done unto us amen amen if we can all stand church he'll bring you out I'm here to tell somebody today, he will bring you out. It was two days later. They couldn't really explain it. They tried once and they, my son fell. They weren't able to switch him back to the regular event. And they said, if we don't get him switched back, he's not gonna make it. Two days later, the church was praying. God sent men of God to come and pray with us. And God had given us a promise. It didn't make any sense. My wife and I, we had, we had made a prayer chain. Every day we, we put a scripture that God had given us and, and, and the different promises of God just to help our faith. And I remember we did that before he was born. In the five weeks, I mean the two and a half weeks that she was in the hospital waiting for him to come. Every day we had a different scripture, a different promise from God. And we laid those promises over him and we just prayed over him. Two days later, they, they switched him back to the regular event. All of a sudden, his oxygenation started to go up. All of a sudden, he started to improve. About a week and a half later, he's doing much better. He's here today. They keep checking him for stuff, thinking things are gonna be wrong, but every test just keeps coming back better and better and better. The director of Cincinnati NICU she looked at us and she says, we're handing off his care to the next doctor. She said, we don't know why he got so sick and we don't know why he got better. Do you have anything you wanna say about that? It was prayer, it was prayer. Prayer made the difference, church. God's faithful to his promises. He'll bring you out. There was a nurse. She signed up to take care of him at night. When Nolan was discharged from the hospital, she wrote a letter to Nolan. She said, Nolan, thank you for showing me that miracles still happen. I'm going to read one more passage of scripture. And then we're gonna have a little bit of a different altar call. I'll explain it to you here in a second. If we can go to 2 Corinthians chapter one and verse three. I didn't know why we were going through it. I'll be honest with you, I struggled with the Lord. I was watching my son gasp for air, trying to survive. As a father, it'll do something to you. But it'll do something to you too when you bring him into the church for the first time. And you see what God can do in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Someone here today, you're asking yourself, why am I going through what I'm going through? 
Why am I struggling with what I'm struggling with? Why did you allow them to talk about me the way they talked about me? Why did you allow me to go through this affliction the way that you allowed me to go through it? Paul wrote something here. He said, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation. It's like Joseph said, he's gonna visit you. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. What does that mean? The Bible says that the Holy Ghost is a comforter. And when they see you comfort you in the land of your affliction, that spirit will go and visit them as well. They'll say, whatever they got, I need that too. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And whether we be comforted is for your consolation and for your salvation. Everyone say, he's going to bring me out. You know why he's going to bring you out? So that someone else will see that there's a way out of the affliction. There's a way out of their sinful lifestyle. There's a way out of the bondage they've been in. There's a way out of the infirmity that they've been facing, but there is a way out. And when they see God bring you out, God allowed us to meet a family there at the hospital. He, uh, the child had similar surgeries that my son had had. He it was not much given hope to live. I remember I got off the elevator one day I didn't feel like praying for anybody else. But God specifically told me, you need to pray with that father right there. I remember, I didn't feel at church. I didn't want to pray for anybody else. I had one need that I was concerned about. To be honest with you, I didn't care if he answered anybody else's needs. But God told me to do it. And this is the beautiful thing. He'll allow you to be fruitful even when you don't want to be fruitful. I remember, I prayed with that man man later said, he said, it sounded like an angel was speaking to me. He went and told his wife about it. God gave us a friendship. Their son is alive today. He, he has a condition. There's only 21 other people in the United States alive with his condition. The funny thing is, is they transferred back to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And God allowed me to do a week's worth of deputation that was unplanned in Minneapolis just a couple weeks ago. And I was able to go and visit with them. I talked to him last night. I think we're gonna start a weekly Bible study together. This man didn't really believe in God at all. He told me this. But I remember the day before he flew back with his son, they had a private chartered flight to take their son, transfer back to Minneapolis. He said to me, he said, there's gonna come a day. He, says, no, he said, he said, I might need you to come up to Minneapolis someday so that you can baptize me. I, and I told him this. I told him this because I remember the trauma that my wife and I, Gina, if you can bring Nolan up here when you get a chance. I told him this. I said, if my, I said, I believe in the covenants and the promises of God. I believe in eternity. So whether my son was going to survive or not, everything that we went through, if we went through it just so that God would allow me to share the gospel with you and that your family would be saved, I'm gonna see my son for the rest of eternity, but if we went through it 
just so we could share the gospel with you to me. It's worth it. Because of our affliction, the affliction that we face, it is for the consolation and the salvation of others. God's got great things in store for this church. He's got great things in store for you. (laughs) He's sleeping right now, so I'm not going to wake him up. Huh? Originally, I was going to pick him up and I was going to carry him around here because when I was in the hospital, I felt the unction of the Holy Ghost to prophesy that there was going to come a day that I was going to be able to take my son and take him around and march him around Tree of Life Liberty while your pastor was there and he was praying with us and he was praying on Nolan's behalf. I had said it out loud. I said, there's going to come a day. I'm going to bring in the Tree of Life and we're going to march around the church. And when the doctors had no hope, they had no answer. They didn't know how it was going to happen. God did it when nobody else could do it. And so I'm here to worship God today. I'm here to give God all of the glory. Because this poor man cried, and he delivered me of all my fears, and he saved me of all my troubles, and he brought me out, and he will bring you out. But this is what we're going to do. I already asked Blue Sizemore for permission. This is what we're going to do. My wife and I, we're going to march around with this promise, with this miracle. And if you have a need or a situation in your life, it does not matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. I want you to get behind us. And I want you to begin to see the fruition of God's promises in your life. I want you to begin to see the answers to the promise that he gave you many years ago or the promises of his word. By his stripes we are healed. He is Jehovah who forgives us of all of our sins and he heals us of all of our diseases. There is nothing that is too hard for God. And if you have a need in your life, I want you to get behind us and begin to march behind us. And I believe God is going to minister on your behalf and we're just going to march around the church. And whenever you feel it, Whenever you feel faith begin to rise, I want you to come down to the front and I want you to begin to lift up your hands to heaven and the ministry is going to come and we're going to lay hands upon you and we're going to judge God to be faithful to his promises. Amen? Can we do that? Before we do that, I want us to all pray together right now where we're at. And we're going to pray a prayer of repentance. We're going to ask God to forgive us every time that we doubt him. Every time we allow something to come in between us and him. And after we begin that, after we pray this prayer of repentance, we're going to begin to march around and we're just going to praise God for the faithfulness of his word, all right? Lord Jesus, we pray right now. You said if we confess our sins unto you, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We weren't worthy of the covenants that you give us. We weren't worthy of the promises of your word. But God, you imputed your righteousness unto us. You washed us. You cleansed us. You made us anew. We ask you right now to forgive us one more time. Forgive us for every time we doubted your word. Forgive us for every time we allowed bitterness or unbelief to come between us and your promises. And we ask you right now to wash us, to make us anew, to make us in your image. Can we raise our hands right now? Begin to thank God for forgiving you. Begin to thank God for washing you. 
begin to thank God for making you new right now. And my wife and I, we're going to begin to march around this place. And church, like I asked, if you have a need, don't hesitate. Get right behind us. It's not mind over matter. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things fought for. It's faith in the Word of God.
For the 